Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And before we start, as per usual, if you'd like some bonus content from us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash name three songs to join our community over there, get bonus episodes, as well as access to a Discord server. And more specifically, if you join this month, we have a bonus episode dedicated to Astro World and all of the crazy conspiracies that came out on TikTok surrounding it. So Sarah, what are we getting into today? Today we're talking about the way that all of us were brainwashed by a girl band into becoming feminists 20 years later without even realizing it. Because we're talking about the phenomenon that is the Spice Girls, (laughs) that if you were alive in the late 90s, you cared about, even if you were three. It was your whole personality. Wait, even as an American, did you love the Spice Girls? My whole personality is the Spice Girls. There is not a singular photo of me from, I think age six or seven there is not a single photo of me not wearing a spice girl shirt like my whole life was the spice girls i had the barbie dolls we would buy the lollipops because the lollipops had like photos of them with it like you could get mel c's arm tattoos as as temporary tattoos i have a bunch of unauthorized spice girls biography books like this was my whole personality as a child this is so funny contrastingly I was too young for this. Spice Girls were not a thing in my life until very recently. But yeah, so we're going into how the Spice Girls, even without them 100% understanding what they actually meant when they were shouting girl power, created a new wave of feminism without even meaning to. But it did take like a decade for that to happen. The image of Spice Girls really outgrew the individuals. It like became this whole thing and it took on a life of its own, really. And it was super interesting doing research for this. We started out with a Channel 4 documentary on the Spice Girls and I was fascinated. I didn't know any of this information and their career timeline is so compact. Like everything happened in a very short amount of time. They were insanely popular and we're going to give you all the details. But before we get there, I do just want to give some context of what feminism in the 90s looked like since we're gonna be talking a lot about girl power and feminism and what the Spice Girls thought all of these things were (laughs) so there's a really great article in time called how the 90s tricked women into thinking they'd gain gender equality by Alison Yarrow in 2018 And essentially setting the scene in the early 1990s, the average age of women to get married was between 20 and 22. But by 1997, it was 25. And the Spice Girls were at the peak of their popularity in 1997. So already we see this same 10 year gap, but suddenly women are going to college, they're getting jobs before they're thinking about settling down and having kids. And this is giving them more autonomy. And we see this throughout different aspects of the political spectrum 
spectrum, the career fields, women are suddenly having this heyday of being in more positions of power. But this author, Allison, goes on to point out that it was kind of this fake thing. Everyone thought women had power, but it turned out not to be very true. And so she writes that, I call what was done to women in the 90s bitchification, and it coincided with a radical new media landscape. The emerging 24-hour news cycle providing real-time, unremitting coverage of live and current events swiftly infiltrated households and shaped the American consciousness during this era. And this is really important because we're going to talk a lot today about Spice Girls and tabloid culture. She goes on to say, the continuous addictive format produced an unrelenting fixation on public figures and newsmakers, but none so much as the women gaining power and prominence in the 90s. When any woman made the news, she often stayed there for days, weeks, months, and in sometimes years. Meanwhile, news consumers blamed women for their own unceasing visibility, as if they had narcissistically engineered unflattering coverage of themselves for personal gain. So this is where we start to see this narrative flipping of like, yay, girl power, women in positions of power, but also they're all over the news constantly and now we kind of hate them. It's this interesting thing where it's like the news media is created by men and in creating this 24 hour news cycle that isn't only focusing on like natural disasters and deaths and everything you see on like the nightly news or whatever. These men are essentially giving themselves permission to be voyeuristic towards these women in pop culture by writing about every single thing that they're doing and commenting on their bodies and their boyfriends and their habits of going out at night or just being young and being comfortable being single or partying or whatever the case is. And so it really is this situation where, like she said, they're given this false idea that they have this power. Well, to your point, I think it flipped the narrative of like women have power, but actually men are controlling the story. So the men still have power. And one of the things that also really stood out to me from this article was that Allison writes, as women gain power or simply just showed up in public, society pushed back by reducing them into gruesome sexual fantasies and misogynistic tropes. And I think timeline-wise, we're talking 90s here, especially late 90s when we have tabloid culture. We've talked a lot on this podcast about Britney, about Christina, about Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and celebrities of the early and mid 2000s. And so this late 90s time period is where we see this narrative start developing and it just becoming such a vicious cycle that Britney and Lindsay Lohan were like the ones who really paid for this with tabloid culture. And I honestly just think this whole thing is insane because I've never thought about it in this context before. Well, it's that voyeuristic tendencies that I mentioned before of like the newspaper is giving these men and women permission essentially to tear everything about them apart. Allison wrote in this article, she said that women's careers, clothes, bodies, and families were all skewered. Nothing was off limits. And so even though these women were definitely trailblazing, like doing so many incredible things for just women, they were still scrutinized and kind of treated like they weren't real people outside of this celebrity idea. And everything that was reported on about them that wasn't just cold hard facts was deeply rooted in sexism and so it's this weird thing where like at this point we're on the third wave of feminism women are being made to believe that like we actually are reaching a point of having equality still aren't paid the same as men now 20 years plus on and the media is just sitting there and just treating these women like shit even though they're doing so many incredible things 
Yeah. It's really ridiculous because it all just comes back to the patriarchy. But I think also with all of this going on, like this whole thing of women are being made to believe that we are reaching a point of us having equality with men. And I think that like in any scenario when the media is kind of feeding you this idea of like oh look how far women have come look at all of this and you kind of just get those tidbits you run into these situations where you have people who think that they have more knowledge about a situation than they really do women included just because you can be young or just like not super educated in these things or not really paying attention not going out of your way to read the actual articles just getting the headline sort of situation and I feel like this is how we get the Spice Girls. And I'm not trying to shit on the Spice Girls. I love the Spice Girls, as I already said at the beginning. The Spice Girls are a core part of the base of the Sarah Fagan personality. But we are going to go into a bit more detail about this. But for anybody who even has a slight knowledge of the Spice Girls, it's very clear that Jerry, so Ginger Spice, was kind of the soapbox of the band. And she was very well known for kind of not knowing when to shut the fuck up, basically, is what every single article and every single person who's ever been asked about her has said. So she'll kind of... Like, I don't want to disparage her, but she kind of talks out of her ass a lot about a lot of things because the fire is under her ass, but the knowledge for that fire is not at 100%. Yeah. And so she is very much like women should be in charge. Women should have control. We should have control over our group because we're the talent. Without us, there's nothing, which she's not wrong about. But a lot of the ethos of the Spice Girls kind of get lost because she's louder than the idea of girl power. And so we have this band who truly changed history and set so many records and have done so many impressive things. But when you have five girls in a group and one of them is trying to be woke while the rest of them are just kind of trying to go along with the girl group idea of it kind of being a little bit more than surface level, whereas Jerry's trying to make this a full on movement without really 100% being sure of what the movement is that she's trying to make, you kind of run into these issues and You run into like a miscommunication by sort of everybody of who the Spice Girls are for, what the Spice Girls are supposed to be doing, and like why people are supposed to care, if that makes sense. Yeah, like their whole message is just kind of chaotic, to say the least. (laughs) Well, I think that like from what I've learned about them by doing research for this is it seems like they thought that they were going to be a girl group for people their own age. And instead the demographic was six to 12 year olds. Yeah. And like obviously also also older people too, but the core demo was like six to 12. It's weird that that happened. Yeah. And it doesn't a hundred percent make any sense because the goal for the Spice Girls was to fill a gap because there were all these boy bands having success and boy band fans are like preteen to like 20 and onward. But like the core demo is kind of like 13 to 18 for boy bands. And so the fact that the Spice Girls demo was literally five to seven years younger than that. It doesn't really add up or make sense. It is confusing. Okay, so to fill you all in, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about or who are new to the Spice (laughs) Girls journey, I should say, the Spice Girls were a British girl group 
actually formed in 1994, but didn't have their debut single until 1996. So the girl group consisted of Melanie Brown, aka Melanie B, also known as Scary Spice. Then we have Melanie Chisholm, also known as Melanie C, who was Sporty Spice. Then we have Emma Button as Baby Spice, Jerry Hollywell as Ginger Spice, and Victoria Beckham as Posh Spice. And the reason the girls were formed a few years before they actually had their debut single is because they essentially came to be through an audition program held by these two managers called Bob and Chris Herbert, who, as Sarah was saying, wanted to create a girl group because they saw that boy groups were so popular. And so the interesting thing with this and what we learned both from the Channel 4 documentary that we watched, as well as a Daily Mail archive article from 1997 that kind of was like, oh, revealing all about how the Spice Girls really came to be, is that these men with money were kind of like, okay, we need to put a girl group together because that's going to make us money because all these boy groups are making money like Jenna was saying and so they essentially kind of k-popped them (laughs) it's like the best way to put it is like they put them through boot camp they're training them to like sing and dance and work together as a team unfortunately for them they did pick five very sure of themselves women to be in this group and so they kind of overpowered them and decided like you know what we don't really like you we don't really like what you're trying to do with us And a lot of this was kind of fueled by Jerry of her being like, girls can do whatever they want. Like girls have control too. And I think a lot of what Jerry's mindset about this was makes a lot of sense. If you don't like them and you have the power, why not leave? Because she knew that they were working with something that was going to be really successful. But the interesting thing here is, and there's like a tidbit that has come up in most of these Daily Mail archive articles that I found. It came up in the documentary. It's come up in other things is that the Spice girls are trying to spin this narrative that they met on like an audition circuit so like Jerry had been a TV host Victoria had been doing stuff in musical theater they all obviously had singing experience and so they were all going and auditioning for multiple things which is true because they talk about that in the Channel 4 documentary but obviously they as the Spice Girls were specifically handpicked out to be together in a group but they didn't want people to know that and so instead they're like oh yeah we met while auditioning to do similar stuff to this but we just got on so well that we were like let's make a power group and we'll have success that way and it is interesting because in that Daily Mail article that I had mentioned earlier they did speak to this woman called Peppy Lemur who was Emma Button's vocal coach which is actually how Emma wound up joining the Spice Girls because there was another girl who was supposed to be in the group and she was like I actually don't want to do this and then Peppy was already the vocal trainer for this group that got put together and she's like oh I have this girl who I've been working with. She's really young. She's really cute. I think she'd be great. And so she got Emma into the group. And so really without her, we wouldn't ever have the Spice Girls. And so basically like in this article, she's kind of like, it was really frustrating as they were getting more popular and talking about their makeshift story about how they were put together that I was never acknowledged at Mm. all. And she was like, I never got a thank you. I never got anything. She's like, I didn't even need to be acknowledged on the TV, but they just never even thanked me. (laughs) Which like made me really sad. I mean, It's just interesting because I think that while you could view this as them trying to stick it to the man, you could also view it in the mindset of their viewing this as a feminist origin to their group by saying that they created it themselves. Because obviously there's always two sides to it of it's like, oh, they just didn't like us or like, oh, they didn't want these men involved or whatever the case is. But I think also if you already know that the goal of your group is to sell this idea of girl power being like, yeah, we came up 
up with this idea ourselves sounds really impressive. Which is also hilariously ironic because once they left Bob and Chris Herbert, they went and signed with Virgin Records and their manager was Simon Fuller, who's notorious music marketing executive mogul. And they literally had so many brand deals. It was insane. So they're like, yes, we did this ourselves. Feminism. <laughs> but also our manager is a dude who's really powerful and doing everything for us. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But essentially, they signed to Virgin in 1996 and released their debut single wannabe and it was number one on the charts in 37 countries like immediately from day one they were just insanely popular their debut album spice also came out in 1996 it sold more than 23 million copies worldwide ended up becoming the best-selling album by a female group in all of history also followed up by spice world in 1997 which sold more than 14 million copies and so in this time period 96 97 when they're having the heyday of spice girls during the year 1997 they made 300 million pounds in advertising sponsorship 300 million they literally are the definition of zero to 60 and like you have to think about this contextually of they were everywhere they had pepsi ads they were faces were probably on the side of buses and billboards and like literally inescapable came from nothing and overnight had this huge success Imagine 1996, they're chilling. They're like gearing up to like do this thing. You have no idea if it's going to go well or not. And then a year and a half later, as a group, you're close to being a billionaire. Actually, at that point, as a group, they probably had brought in over a billion dollars between that and like their record sales. But this is the thing with sponsorship money is a lot more sponsorship money usually goes directly to the artists. It's so crazy and it's so interesting because every single person that had any say in anything looked at the Spice Girls and saw dollar signs in their eyes. And we're just like, this is how we're going to make money. This is how we're going to sell things. This is how we're going to get product. Because as we've talked about in past episodes, the young girl market is the best of all of the markets because who's going to say no to a seven-year-old pitching a fit in the doll section of Toys R Us being like but mommy I need the posh Barbie doll and so this just goes to show the insane popularity they had and as Sarah mentioned like how lucrative a market this actually is but at the same time as we said Spice Girls like to be their own boss and so literally by the end of 1997 They left Simon Fuller and they left Virgin Records because they wanted to do things on their own again. I don't know why. So at that point in time, there's not social media. There aren't those same things where like they can go and tell their story for themselves. Everything is always going to be heard through the grapevine or like being told to somebody else and regurgitated. But it kind of seems like they were getting frustrated by the fact that they were trying to sell this idea of girl power and they were trying to understand what that meant to them and to the world. And the world was like really excited about this idea of girl power. And yet they looked at their team and their whole team was men. And so that was what I was getting from the context clues of everything I read and what we watched is that they were kind of like Simon doesn't have our best interests at heart Mm. he's just trying to make money off of us he just wants money every person that we're working with is a man and they were having to deal with on shoots and all these different things like these men just disrespecting them because they were comfortable and confident in their sexuality and this was a new thing of women choosing for themselves to like have their boobs out and to be showing their midriff. And in that Channel 4 doc, there was a clip of them for like a Polaroid shoot and they were dressed in schoolgirl outfits. But while it was like sexualizing the idea of a schoolgirl, it wasn't like as far 
into softcore porn as you can use that outfit to be on the spectrum of schoolgirl outfits being used in pop culture. And there were these men on the set being like, why are you not showing more skin? And Jerry and Mel B are kind of just like, because we don't want to. We're at a school. We don't want to be disrespectful. We're marketing to kids. This isn't for you. And I think that was a thing that they realized is that they were not doing this for men. They were doing this for women. And it seemed like their team did not understand that they were not doing it for men. Yeah. Because everything had always been about men. Because also, if you look at British media culture at that time, you have like Nuts and FHM and all of these kind of semi-nudie magazines coming out (laughs) that were huge deals. And they were male-focused magazines with scantily clad women in them. Mm. And that was like what media culture was at the time. And so there are these women, as I said, being sexy and they're not doing it for men. They're kind of doing it for themselves and other women their age. But then they're having to also market continuously to these children because these children are rabid for the Spice Girls. So it's like there's so many levels going on here. And I feel like having the team full of men from like a very major label behind you was probably really weighing on them. No, I def I definitely see like the point you're making here. And also just pointing out to what you said about the the magazines and like having as you said sc- scantily clad women in them. And the documentary too also pointed out how much the 90s in England were very much like a lad culture. And so the combination yeah. of these things it makes a lot of sense that the Spice Girls doing things to empower themselves, but then every man is still treating them as if they're an object for them. And so it makes sense why mm-hmm. there's this division in what they're trying to portray and then how they're being treated. And so once they leave Virgin in the end of 1997, they go on a world tour in 1998 and in the middle of the tour jerry just decides to leave no explanation she's literally just gone and then the next day or something like that they finally get like a call from her or something and she's like yeah i'm leaving the spice girls up and out of nowhere putting this timeline together is so insane the fact that they were barely together as a group in mainstream media and pop culture for like about two years and they had this much impact Mm -hmm. like that is insane and the thing with jerry leaving and her being the first to leave that kind of in a way blows my mind but also doesn't is it's like everything about the spice girls existed because of jerry yeah like jerry had such a hand in the molding of this group and the fact that it got to be kind of too much for her i feel like says a lot but i think also again that thing of of did they at any point really understand what power they were holding? I don't think so because I think that everything was so new in the way that tabloids were talking about them and the way that the tabloids went from being on their side to not really being on their side and just like this change in media culture definitely obviously negatively affected them because they did speak about it. But also in that Channel 4 documentary this guy called Matthew Wright who was a showbiz editor at The Mirror which is like a lesser evil of the Daily Mail but still pretty shit and so like as we mentioned earlier this era kind of was the start of the 24-hour news cycle and the 24-hour news cycle also including entertainment news. And so what Matthew says is that there was an expectancy that the news had to cover the Spice Girls every single day. And so at some point, they're going to run out of real stuff to report on and they're going to start having to report on stuff that might not necessarily be real or might cause turmoil or issues. And Matthew said that basically it was like kind of easy 
to get tons of articles out of the Spice Girls because, and I quote, Jerry was always running her mouth and it didn't seem like any of them were really sure what girl power meant. Oh my God. And so if that doesn't sound like tabloid rocket fuel, I don't know what does. Yeah. Yeah. No, for real. I think also Spice Girls just were literally omnipresent everywhere everywhere in the media on the sponsorship as we said and so we found their 1997 cover story from july in rolling stone which is an american publication so they're talking to like an american journalist and the journalist is trying to like contextualize just how popular they are in england because while they are popular in america it's just not on the same level so the writer chris heath points out that in their homeland for instance the spice girls are in the papers every single day i borrow the file for their british press clips for a single week and the pile is an inch thick there are 141 newspaper stories about them and many more from various magazines and this is just a typical week it's funny that you mentioned how they were given like an inch thick pamphlet of just a week of Spice Girls stories because on the Daily Mail archive, there were so many things like even if it was like the tiniest little clipping, like the Spice Girls had to be mentioned somewhere, no matter what it was about. And they clearly were trying to come up with stories whenever they could. And going back to what Matthew Wright from The Mirror was saying is it's like Jerry was always saying something that was very quotable. Whether or not it had a lot of sense to it is besides the point, but it made it easy for these people to reach their word count and just kind of have an interesting quote in a rather uninteresting article. And so no matter which member of the Spice Girls they decided to write about that day, there was always going to be some sort of Jerry quote going on. And I feel like the underlying theme to all of this is the fact that the Spice Girls are trying to sell this idea of girl power feminism, which is kind of like a gateway drug into feminism. It's very basic level what a feminist is. And it's kind of one of those things where I don't necessarily know what their goal was because it doesn't seem like they ever 100% knew what their goal was with it. But a lot of young girls took this idea and broadened their own horizons, which I think is pretty incredible. And so for an example of this, there was this Daily Mail article in 1996 that was kind of just talking about how Victoria Beckham went from this kind of quiet posh girl to being the Victoria Beckham posh spice that we know and love today of being kind of sexy and out there and doing crazy things like lashing patrons at a five-star hotel in the countryside of England. And so the article goes on to say, either way, Victoria has undergone an inexplicable transformation. As her mother will tell you, quote, I don't know, one moment she's playing with her Barbie doll and the next thing you know, she's flying back from America after getting to number one in the pop charts and the slightest hint that victoria remains the quote-unquote nice girl she once was and that her new persona is nothing more than part of a formula which involved each band member defining a certain personality type in order to make them more marketable is met with outrage and so then in response to this you have jerry saying quote we're not some kind of concept we call the shots I don't want to put men down, but it's time for some strong females. Girl power. And so I think that it is interesting that everybody's kind of like, oh, they have these Spice Girl names. They have these roles that they're supposed to fit. They're just trying to fit within this girl band Spice Girls formula. And Jerry is always on her soapbox being like, we did this ourselves. 
without us, there would be no Spice Girls. So the Spice Girls couldn't be anybody else. This is all us. It's not just some marketing game plan. You know what? This Jerry quote makes me think of two things. And the first thing is that this Jerry quote is literally the extent of them talking about feminism. Like, it's literally just like, we have the power girl power like that that's it there's no, it's nothing deeper and the second part is that she's trying so hard to show like their individuality their unique people they're not just this manufactured mm-hmm. thing she did leave the group first like i think that's so crazy as you pointed out earlier like jerry's very much the loud one being pro feminism pro ourselves pro we did everything and then she was the first to leave. I don't know. It's crazy. But I think that like that pressure also when you as a singular person, because I'm not saying that the rest of the girls didn't care about girl power and the whole ethos of the Spice Girls. They definitely did. But I think that they were also having fun and it felt like Jerry had some sort of ulterior motive to all of this of genuinely being the face of some sort of movement because also weirdly the British media was really obsessed with trying to get quotes of the Spice Girls talking about politics yeah and I think it was because of this girl power equals feminism sort of idea and also at the time like feminism was kind of a dirty idea and like at one point Jerry even said that she would think of running for office but only if it was in the borough of Kensington and Chelsea which I think is just really funny because Jerry kind of came from nothing and the second she got money she became a Tory <laughs> it's just it's just very weird well, I mean going off this they did a 1997 cover story with Vogue also an American cover story because they're talking to this journalist like the night they're about to play SNL but politics does come up in it but not really because the interviewer prompted it the journalist kathy aker writes jerry starts speaking about margaret thatcher why she admires her quote but we won't go down there and the girls kind of like jump in going like yeah we won't go down there and then mel c says softly we talked about the suffragettes and getting the vote to women and all that but a lot of women don't vote a lot of our generation doesn't vote i don't i don't feel i should because i don't know anything about politics and so It's this very wishy-washy, like, women have power, but they're not educated enough to speak about the importance of women having power or, like, the different roles this plays because they're saying they're not even educated enough to go and vote, which is definitely something that's even relevant today of because we've had so much, like, honestly, like, I feel like a political reckoning and a political awakening in the past few years here in America, at least. It's like, no, you need to educate yourself. You're like, your vote is important. Like, you literally have a say in how people are treated in this country. And we're looking at late 90s feminism going, oh, voting's not for us. Like, women should be able to vote, but I don't know enough about politics to vote. It's very, it's just so funny how like diluted feminism this is Wyndham hotels and resorts makes travel possible for all whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers or a place to make summer memories with the whole family no matter who you are where you're going or why with 24 trusted brands to choose from like la quinta days in and super eight your Wyndham is waiting get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. restrictions apply visit website for more details another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, I think the point that we keep coming back to is that essentially they accidentally created a movement that was bigger than themselves. And so they didn't really know what to do with this power that they had essentially granted themselves in in a lot of ways. And you can see this constantly happening in these articles and when they're being interviewed is it's kind of like the articles themselves that are written about them make them sound a lot more interesting and like they have a lot more going on than when they actually get to speak because when they're actually speaking it's very clear that they at this point have kind of taken control of their own career. So there aren't people media training them. There aren't people being like here's what girl power means to you. There aren't people behind the scenes educating them they're just kind of like we already have this empire we need to run with it they kind of pulled an icarus and flew a bit too close to the sun in that situation they may have girl bossed a little too hard they did the girl boss too close to the sun because the idea of the Spice Girls became bigger than them and they couldn't really live up to what being a Spice Girl and being girl power meant because you can see if you read any letters to the editor from Spice Girls fans or even again in that Channel 4 documentary there was a preteen girl on some British music TV show basically being like I think that the Spice Girls are using feminism as a way to make money And so they essentially planted the seeds for younger women to become feminists. And then the younger women became feminists. And then they kind of were like, you're doing it wrong, the Spice Girls. Yeah. I mean, so I think that like the important thing here is that like while the Spice Girls feminism wasn't very deep, it brought the term to a lot of new audiences and a lot of young, young, young girls and women. And this is important because as Sarah said, it planted the seed so that they're growing up thinking about this and then becoming educated and learning about it and becoming feminists themselves. And so even though it was a very watered down version, it made it accessible to a lot of people. And I think part of the Spice Girls ethos is that they're very raw and unfiltered. Like you are getting the Spice Mm -hmm. Girls. There's no facade up here. And part of that is that you don't have to be the smartest person in the room to be respected. I think that's the key thing here. And in this Vogue article, Kathy goes on to write, I'm speculating, but perhaps due to Margaret Thatcher, though it is hard to attribute anything decent to her, a populist change has taken place in England. The Spice Girls, and the girls who like them, resemble their American counterparts in two ways. They are sexually curious, certainly pro-sex, and they do not feel that they are stupid or that they should not be heard because they did not attend the right universities. So while I'm sitting here and saying it's unfortunate that there was nothing deeper context for them to be able to like properly talk about feminism, this is part of the Spice Girls ethos of saying you don't have to be the smartest person in the room your voice is still valid and you should still be heard yeah a hundred percent and like I don't think that there's anything wrong with the fact that they didn't really understand what they were creating I think that that kind of in a way makes it a bit more beautiful because they were just doing what felt right for them because they didn't have the language or the education or like the context to properly explain what they were trying to do but the feeling was there enough for their young fans for their young fans to understand and then kind of outshine them in those ways 
because they took the building blocks that the Spice Girls were giving them by just being brash and confident and comfortable and okay with being like women can be their own people and do their own things. And they took that and they ran with it like their fans did. And I think that that's so incredible that this girl group that basically existed for two and a half years had that much of an impression on not just the British public, the American public, and also kind of the rest of the world. They truly changed everything for so many people as well as the music industry and all of that. But also at the same time, while there are all these positives that came from the excitement behind the idea of girl power and the fact that it wasn't a fully fledged idea, which gave people the room to make it into a fully fledged idea on their own, it also created the evils of tabloid culture in a lot of ways because it's a group of five women. And what is everybody's favorite thing to do with groups of women pit them against each other and cause issues and judge them and like we said earlier with Alison Yarrow and her talking about 90s pop culture is that they would just skewer these women alive they would talk about their bodies and their relationships and all these things and the Spice Girls really were a minefield for these people like there were so many options because they were virtually nobodies before they got famous yeah and so there was so much to uncover because they were getting famous so quickly And so many people who came from nothing who were willing to sell stories. They've talked about how within the like first year of them being popular, at least 13 ex-boyfriends came forward with kiss and tell stories and were getting paid for them. Emma Button was like 18. All three of her ex-boyfriends that she had had in her whole life all did tell all stories to the papers. They were getting sold out left, right, and center by every single person that wasn't still part of their lives, essentially. And then on top of that, they're dating in real time they're getting married in real time they're getting pregnant in real time they're gaining weight they're losing weight in real time and these papers are having a fucking field day yeah i mean you know we talk about this all the time of like a certain time and place all these things had to line up for this to happen and we also talk a lot about how when you're young and in the industry and you don't have someone looking out for you you're really vulnerable and i think these two things are lining up and coming together because the spice girls didn't really have another option with the amount of the media attention they were getting there was no alternative nobody was protecting them saying hey let's step away from the limelight like you need time like you need a private life there was no private life everything was out in the open and none of it was their choice Mm -hmm. they weren't media trained they weren't even trained to like be able to hide certain part of their lives and so i feel like the phenomenon of the spice girls and the evolution of the tabloids and the the paper and the 24 7 news cycle they were kind of like the first ones who were just being hung out to dry because this was the first time this was ever happening and nobody knew any better yeah and i mean the newspapers were becoming tabloids at this point and they were circling them like vultures essentially just waiting for something bad to happen for them to go and pick at it and a huge focus for these outlets was the girls ever changing bodies because obviously they got famous between the ages of like 18 and 22 and so as they're getting older your body starts to change even in your 20s so that's a huge thing but also we see victoria adams become victoria beckham so she gets into a relationship with david beckham who is by far one of the most famous men in all of England. He's one of the most talked about footballers. He plays for Manchester United and they enter into 
a relationship that's very much in the public eye. You're seeing interviews of them, like them flirting with each other. It's honestly very sweet <laughs> um, to watch their relationship blossom. But there is this obsession with their relationship and therefore this obsession with Victoria and everything that's happening to her. And the Daily Mail essentially gives her the loving nickname of Skeletal Spice because she loses a ton of weight after she and David Beckham have their first kid, which is Brooklyn Beckham. And so the Daily Mail truly is just focusing on how much weight that she's lost. And there's this really crazy article that was in The Guardian in 1999. This date of publication was December 6th, 1999. And the title of this article was Victoria is Not Amused. And basically what this Guardian article is doing is explaining how the Daily Mail and the Mirror were essentially having a feud with each other because basically most celebrities have, at least at this point, would have like a newspaper that they trusted that they would call into to refute things that they did not like about them in other newspapers. And so Victoria Beckham had a relatively decent relationship with the Mirror. And so basically was that on the Monday of this week of December 6, 1999, the Daily Mail wrote an article called Yabba Dabba Don't, which accompanied a photograph of Posh in a red leather dress with a ragged hem. And then the next day, the Daily Mail came out with another article that was saying that in that same picture, the dress exemplified something sinister. And so they dub her skeletal spice and say that she had lost her voluptuous curves and became, quote, worryingly thin. And they go on to pose the question of, should she be a role model for teenage girls when teenage girls are so prone to anorexia? And then Posh does not like this. So she calls the mirror, quote, close to tears And says, how can anyone treat a woman like this? It's so nasty. And then the mirror condemns their rivals, saying that the article that the Daily Mail put out is extremely vicious and that they should not be doing this. And the Daily Mail does this going forward. They continue to call her Skeletal Spice. There was a whole article later on in 1999 just literally called Skeletal Spice where they talk about how, quote, her jutting collarbone and stick-like legs were testament to the dramatic weight loss she had experienced since the birth of her son. And they go, how can the skeletal look possibly set a healthy example to the millions of little girls who aspire to be her? And basically, like, in a prior interview, Victoria had said that it's irresponsible to say that I'm dieting and anorexic. I've just had a baby. I'm dashing around all day long. I can never sit still. What do you expect from me? And it's like, it just makes me so sad that they would do this. And I mean, they also picked apart Jerry when Jerry was in the Spice Girls, like she was the quote unquote more voluptuous member of the group. And then when she left, she lost a shit ton of weight. But also, if you look back on the history of like the early 2000s, looking like you did heroin under the bleachers at your high school was what was in. Yeah. I mean, this predated the Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie era by a few years. But I mean, we're seeing this predated that, right? This literally led into that of it's like women can never win if they're too thin or not thin enough they're going to be criticized either way. And one thing also that the Channel 4 documentary pointed out is that 
When they left Simon Fuller at the end of 1997, the narratives in the media started to change. And they speculated that part of it was that Simon Fuller had ends with some of these publications and that he could protect them to a certain degree and he could keep their narrative in a good light to a certain degree. But then once they leave, that all starts to change. We start to see these more vile headlines, as Sarah has just mentioned. And also in 2002, I think they did their last album together, well, as the four of them. And then they kind of started doing their little solo careers and then we see them being pitted against each other on the charts and like oh do you like so-and-so's single and asking each other about each other's songs and so it really starts to become this kind of vile thing where together they were kind of like had the power of the numbers of being together and like nobody could really pick them apart but then once this starts to disintegrate a little bit and once they don't have management protecting them then they just become such easy targets because so much of their life is already out in the public yeah and it's interesting because there also was kind of bad blood between the four that stayed and the one that left and so it's hard when you don't want to give the media the headlines but you're also upset with your ex-friend and bandmate yeah and i think based off of the clips that were shown in that documentary Malsey definitely had a very hard time not being mean to jerry which i found very interesting because they're all kind of trying to stay tight-lipped and not make comments and everybody's kind of trying to get them to make comments about each other but mostly just about like if they like each other's music never anything more sinister than that but it is just like that want and need to see women take down other women which I don't really understand why that is something that's so craved by media it's because as we mentioned earlier in this episode the men were running the media and they were like "Ooh, we kind of hate women so they were being mean to women in the media and then they're like wait you guys should hate each other too that's literally how this got started yeah and then for the women in media they're having to hold their own in a boys club and the only way to do so is to take down these other women that are famous and in the limelight and I mean the crazy thing is is that this girl group that was created and really formed this idea of girl power and let that empower themselves to the point of leaving managers that they didn't like signing with one of the biggest managers in all of music and then getting famous off of this idea of girl power and girl empowerment and making girls feel like they can do anything the fact that that was what fueled the media to create this this narrative of attacking women to this extent and just kind of hoping and praying to break them down enough to get more content out of them is just so fucked up in so many ways that they really believed and they really did as it's been proven by the generation that grew up on the Spice Girls that they were starting a feminist movement, which in some cases, if you really think about it, the fourth wave of feminism started in 2010. All of those people would have been Spice Girls fans growing up. So <laughs> I think that they wormed their way into our brains, as I said, when we first started the episode and that that kind of paved the way for the media to talk about women the way that they did yeah. is just really sinister in a way that makes my spine kind of tingle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the interesting thing with all of this is like, given everything you've said about the media totally flipping the narrative to like being this negative kind of like attack mode is that the cover stories we read specifically from American media were actually quite nice to the Spice Girls. And we were talking about this, you know, while we were doing research of it's like, when did this narrative flip? Because this Rolling Stone cover story about the Spice Girls is honestly quite objective and not really either 
overly nice to them or overly negative to them. But then we have the Britney Spears 1999 Rolling Stone cover story. And that one is just totally sexualizing her. Completely different light. And these are two years apart. And so it's like, was this unique to the Spice Girls? Was it because like the Spice Girls were such a phenomenon that people had not seen before? Because there weren't a ton of other pop girlies in this space at the moment. Is this why? And then we saw what happened to the Spice Girls. We saw what happened in the tabloids and the headlines. And now suddenly we're allowed to hate women out loud and we're allowed to sexualize women out loud in media. I'm wondering, is that the timeline of events that played out? Or was it the fact that it was these American publications, you know? Well, I think that, and like this is just conjecture and my personal feeling of that as women start to feel more empowered in themselves and choose to sexualize themselves, men are like, that's giving me permission to acknowledge that they are doing that yeah, because they're doing it on their own accord. But the thing that is interesting is that the Spice Girls are already firmly in the pop culture zeitgeist when they're interviewed by Rolling Stone. Yes, maybe in England, but they're a phenomenon. They're coming over to America specifically to perform on Saturday Night Live and go on a huge tour. Meanwhile, Britney Spears is introduced to the world in a Rolling Stone interview at the age of 16 where they're talking about her honeyed thighs. Yes. And her ample bosom. And it's like... (laughs) Never forget these lines. What poetry. (laughs) Absolute poetry. Um, They're seared into my brain. Uh, Yeah. And so I do think it's interesting that I wonder if it's also the fact, like you said, that the Spice Girls are already a phenomenon. So like they have to respect them because they already have a firm hold on things. Or if it's like, oh, women have been sexualizing themselves for two years now and they're trying to act like they're equal to us. So if they're equal to us, it's like that weird mindset when women say to guys who don't understand what feminism is and guys are like oh so does that mean i can punch you too and it's like you shouldn't be punching anybody brad yeah no exactly in this rolling stone cover story they literally open up with talking about how mel b is picking her nose with like a cloth napkin and then they go on to detail actually jerry shares a story against the girl's will but jerry does what she wants about how they were somewhere in taiwan and they like couldn't find a bathroom And they were in like a hotel or like some fancy place and they couldn't find a bathroom. And so they like found some towels and like went pee on the towels in the corner. And they're just like sharing this story to fucking open up their Rolling Stone cover story interview. Like absolutely zero filter. But like the contrast between like a very real and raw story and the contrast between how Britney was talked about and the fact that Britney, as we said, was like 16, 17 years old. And the Spice Girls at this point are all like kind of like in their early 20s and they're very loud and they know what they want and they're going to tell you exactly what they want. There's multiple factors at play here with the way they were treated. Well, the thing also is, is that it seems like there wasn't a healthy fear of the media yet. It seems like for most people, you're taught that journalists are on your side. You're doing interviews as promotion for your stuff and promotion for their magazine. It's supposed to be viewed as like an I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine sort of thing. And then eventually, as we see with these Daily Mail articles that I'm talking to, they realize that they can make more money by gossiping and causing hurt because people will either get mad and write in and then want to see the response to them writing in or people will be like oh my god I thought that 
wow, they published that. And I, I, I had that bad thought too. So I guess it can't be that bad of a thought. Cause it's yeah. like those, yeah. you know, it's like that thing where like you whisper to your friends behind closed doors or whatever, where yeah. you're kind of like, Oh, like, did you see what Susie was wearing? And then the daily mail is like, did you see what posh was wearing? She looks like a skeleton. That bitch has to eat. And then everyone's like, I, I, I thought that too. <laughs> and so then they keep buying the newspaper because these horror, these like mean thoughts that they were having oh are now God. getting published in the newspaper. This is so vile. And so that's the thing. And yeah, it's really it's vile. It's the echo chamber. And it's, but it's, it sells. It gets clicks. It's like rubbernecking. It's like watching a car crash to see if there's a dead body, you know? Like oh you, God, you, yeah. you can't look away. Yeah. I don't know. Like the way you view putting it in this context, it really is vile. It's like the positive feedback loop, but it's not. It's all negative. I'm just like thinking of the types of people who subscribe and read these tabloids. Oof. I don't want to know them. Yeah. And so it's just as interesting because like, I don't think that we can place the blame on this newly forming version of the media for like why Jerry left the Spice Girls, why the Spice Girls had all the issues that they had in their personal lives or what have you. But I do think that celebrity culture and what it was becoming because of new access definitely played a role in a lot of like the scandals and the, the crappy feelings they have and why I think also it's been hard to get them to get back together, even though everybody wants it to happen. And any time that they have gotten back together, their response is crazy world record setting sort yeah. of responses. Because all in all, like they essentially went through something traumatizing together because of the aftermath of being in one of the first and the biggest girl groups yet to ever exist. And so there's a lot at play that I think affected the Spice Girls. And I think a lot of the negative people, a lot of the leeches, if you will, latched on to them not fully contextualizing this idea of girl power when girls like me were latching on to that idea of girl power and running with it. Yeah. The fact that it was so simple, like it didn't need it to be explained. I think that's especially why it resonated so much with young girls because they were like, yeah, girl power for a young Mm -hmm. girl. That's cool enough. And them being their individual selves, them having their different identities. That's a lot of representation for the various things girls can be. And so probably that's also why it was very popular with young audiences is it didn't need to be deep and it inspired a whole generation. Yeah, exactly. And like you see the long lasting response to this by people's general distaste to tabloid culture and people being so behind Britney Spears and being so angry because we were too young to be reading these articles and looking at these newspapers and paying attention to this stuff at that time. So we weren't aware of how like I wasn't aware of how upset my favorite Spice Girl was about what was going on in the media. I just see the Spice Girls breaking up and I see them doing solo careers and I see things like when I'm at the supermarket with my mom of like, ooh, Emma versus Jerry, whatever's to happen, you know? And so you just get these things where it's like, in my mind at like whatever, seven or eight, I'm like, why are my two best friends fighting? You know? (laughs) And so it's so crazy how much ridiculousness was happening at that time that the mass amount of their fan base had absolutely no idea what was going on because they were too young to be aware and their parents being like oh the Spice Girls are too sexy they're 
are like teachers at schools being like they can't listen to the Spice Girls at recess because it's too sexual. And these kids don't know. All they mm-hmm. know is girl power. Yeah. That's all they know. That's all they're getting from it. And yet everybody's like, no, you can't copy the Spice Girls dances. You can't bring that book to school. Their boobs are out. And we're like, what are boobs? She's cool. <laughs> Honestly, you've made some points. Like the whole, what is a role model and what is a role model for kids? I don't know. I mean, obviously, as we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, there's certain content that will be age appropriate and not age appropriate. But at the end of the day, the Spice Girl shouting girl power is appropriate for young audiences and is exactly why they were probably as big as they became and probably why there's such a cultural nostalgia about it. Yeah. I mean, it's like when you watch a kid's show, there's always going to be jokes for parents that go (laughs) over kids' heads Yeah, so that parents can enjoy them. And it's kind of like the Spice Girls' tits were the jokes for the parents. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, like, in all seriousness, I mean, like, they completely changed the trajectory of the music industry for women. But also, for some reason, they seem to be the catapult for this shitty tabloid culture, specifically really, really focusing on women's bodies and relationships and what have you. And it's just really upsetting (laughs) in a lot of ways that like these five girls who were virtual strangers became best friends, created a movement out of this idea of girl power where they just wanted to feel empowered within themselves. And the media went from loving it and eating it up and being like, yeah, girl power to them being like, but do they know what girl power is? Constantly trying to trip them up, constantly causing them problems, asking them about politics and all these things that like are very polarizing. And at that time, it was very much like, don't talk about politics at the dinner table sort of situation. And the tabloids essentially use the fact that they assumed that the Spice Girls weren't smart to catapult into this whole new tabloid world where people like the Spice Girls, women trying to live their best lives, have 100% become public enemy number one for literally no reason. It's so wild because we talk so much about like Britney and Christina and Lindsay Lohan era of like that being awful. But then seeing the Spice Girls history and like lining up the timeline of the Spice Girls and the news cycle and the tabloids, all of this came together at the right time for this to have this result. It's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, the Spice Girls and tabloid culture, while I want to say the tabloids were leeches, like they kind of unfortunately had a symbiotic relationship until the tabloids kind of were like, we can be more powerful if we take you down. Yeah. And then we saw that as an ongoing pattern throughout pop culture for literally still to this day. But on the positive side of things, the Spice Girls accidentally created an army of feminists who are now grown women who are trying to change things. So (laughs) today I would like to see this as a glass half full kind of moment of these women who shouldn't have had that much power had so much power by accident. And it was all thanks to Jerry's nonstop talking and occasionally Mel B. (laughs) No, I mean, it's one of those situations where you couldn't have just one of them without all of them. Like the Spice Girls never would have been any of this without all five of them. All five of them were key to their success. But it is just funny that Jerry was really the fire that rocked the boat. 
And yeah, so I mean, like, I feel like there's lots of thoughts to be had. There were way more articles to prove our points than we could even go over. So if you'd like to go through space and time a little bit and go read some back catalogs, it's really easy to get a fake New York Public Library card on the internet. And you can go read the Daily Mail archive on all of this stuff, which is just insane. And if you guys have thoughts and feelings, we always love to hear them. And obviously talking about the Spice Girls is really fun and interesting for us because... I mean, they basically created feminism, guys. They were the blueprint for Josie and the Pussycats. Let me just say that. They literally were because, like, Josie and the Pussycats had all the fun branded stuff and the Spice Girls were doing that for realsies. (laughs) Sarah's life story is making more sense now, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we could have this discussion so I could learn more about Sarah. And you can, too. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have angry thoughts about the Daily Mail, you have thoughts about how the Spice Girls were also your accidental origin story into becoming a feminist, we would love to hear them. You can come chat with us about all of this over on social media. We are at Name Three Songs on Instagram and Twitter, or you can find us personally. I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us this week on Name Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to the Spice Girls. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namethroughsongs.com.